Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so Matt, why doesn't the Grinch like knock-knock jokes? <laughs> I don't know. Because there's always who's there. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother bah humbug <laughs> <laughs> well same to you <laughs> that's right that's right yeah it's it's christmas and uh, traffic everywhere and oh yeah getting in my way at the store and all. <laughs> dude uh, yeah it and i remember living up there in nashville around this time during the everybody it seems like you can't go anywhere up there and everybody's like, well, it's Christmas shopping. And it's like, why does it affect everything? But it does. I don't know what it is. That's but- right. I'm like people Christmas shop at the gas station. Yeah. What? Yeah. I guess some, I, do, I never but- knew that they had anything that anybody yeah. would want for Christmas. I well, guess you, know, you want one of them giant Kit Kats or something or charger cables and cheap hats. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, Listen, if if you do this, then I am talking to you, okay? When you're in the grocery store, especially now around holidays, from think from like a week before Thanksgiving all the way through New Year's, if you're if you're okay, I'm from Tennessee. It's a buggy, okay? <laughs> it, it's a buggy, okay? Or your shopping cart. If your cart is turned in such a way that you have blocked the entire aisle like you're doing a sobriety check in the middle of Publix. <laughs> yeah. Then y- you need to stop doing that. I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> it happened to me the other day about four times. And I'm on the I'm texting with Amanda going, I'm getting ready to shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. This is insane. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't even get through here. It's like a roadblock. And then I'd go down another aisle and it would happen again. Yep. And well, <laughs> what is going on? Just, everybody <laughs> gets in their own world and they think they're the only ones at the store. So before we get too far off track, we'll say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with. And you can find some tips and tricks on podcasting if you want to start your own podcast. While you're on the internet doing your last minute shopping quickly, you don't have much time. You can get somebody a, a subscription to our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash graveyard tales makes a great gift. And there's hundreds of bonus episodes to listen to. We're always recording new ones every week. We're putting one out and we've got multiple levels, $10 a month, $5 a month, or a dollar a month. Each one of them gets a bonus episode. 
but five and ten dollar get video versions of it and the ten dollar uh ten dollar tier they get ad free audio versions of the main episode they get video versions of recording the episode and they get audio and video versions of the bonus episode so go over there patreon.com slash graveyard tales and check it out yeah and and that that's a great gift and if you don't if you don't want to do that hit up one of our sponsors absolutely i mean we've got we've got some great promotions going on from our sponsors and and these people you know they this this helps keep graveyard tales going strong and matt and i don't do ads for things that we don't believe in that's right that's right so you know check out our sponsors um you know pretty much everything you can do with them you can do right there online and and use our promo codes and really pick up some great gifts so right and speaking of the holidays next week is our first listener stories episode it starts next week there's going to be more than one because y'all killed it again this year and sent us a bunch of stories so we're going to do more than one episode but first episode drops next Friday so that you can have it, you can save it and listen to it on Christmas Eve if you would like to carry on that tradition that we always talk about, the old Victorian tradition about telling ghost stories around the fire. So you can do that or listen to it when it comes out and on Christmas Eve. Share it with your family on Christmas Eve as well. That's right. We're looking forward to putting out, Matt, what is this, the the Sixth. sixth annual? That's that's incredible. That is incredible. Hey, and look, it it was it was just something, you know, spur of the moment. Seventh annual, Matt. Seventh. Is it seventh? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is the seventh. But yeah, we just we just came up with it. We thought it was a cool idea for the very, very first Christmas episode we did. And you guys did great. I, I can't remember how many stories we had, but it wasn't many. Mm-mm. Um, it was probably, it was less than 20, I think. Um, and, and we've done it. We, I mean, by July of the next year, we had people emailing us going, are you guys going to do the Christmas yep. thing again? Yep. Cause I've got a story I want to share and, uh, it's just grown exponentially since then. And it's just, it's been wonderful. Um, so you guys, yeah, as Adam said, you guys really blew us away again this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, two episodes worth of uh, worth of ghost stories. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And speaking of ghost stories, Matt, why don't you tell us? What are we talking about tonight, brother? Well, like I said at the top of the show, it's Christmas. Um, and everybody's thinking about presents and shopping and, you know, decorating the tree and seeing how many blow-up things you can put out in your yard and all that. We want to go to the other end of Christmas, the the scary end. Mm-hmm. So tonight, we are going to discuss some of the most terrifying Christmas traditions from around the world. I love it. It's not all jolly old St. Nick <laughs> everywhere you go. Some of them you'll know, some of them you wouldn't have heard of. Um, but we're, we're going to talk about several of them tonight. So this is, this is going to be pretty cool. Yep. And, uh, if you want to keep, you know, going on some of these traditions, go check our, uh, sources in the show notes. We've got 
where we found all this information. And there's more traditions out there that we just didn't cover this time. Maybe another episode. But for now, if you'd like to go read about them, check the sources in our show notes. So the first one we want to talk about is La Père Fueta. Now, this is La from... La Frita. This is from uh, <laughs> France. You were close. Uh, he did I, such a good job pronouncing it, I had to butcher it more. <laughs> well, I, I had to do the how to pronounce and listen to it like four times. Mm. Um, <laughs> now, La Père Fueta is supposedly French for father whipper or old man whipper. Old man whipper. So, but it doesn't mean like you're whipping an old man. It means like the old man is the whipper. Like, yeah. you know, Father Christmas and Father Whipper kind of thing. Well, he's a, a character who accompanies St. Nicholas on his rounds during St. Nicholas Day or December 6th. Mm-hmm. Matt, what is today? Today is December 6th. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Again, that we're, you are not listening to this on December 6th, but we are doing this on December mm-hmm. 6th. So we're recording this on St. Nicholas Day. And, well, and I assure you, it was completely unplanned. It, right. This just happened right. this way. It, it's that synchronicity of the graveyard. It mm-hmm. happens all the time. Well, he, he rides with St. Nicholas dispensing lumps of coal and or beatings to naughty children while St. Nicholas gives gifts to the well-behaved. So Fueta's appearance is described to be an older man with this sinister looking face, and he wears a dark robe. He's got unkempt black beard and carries a whip or a club, and his face is usually darkened with soot. So if you can, you picture this grizzled old man covered in soot with carrying a whip or a club, that's this guy. Now, legend says that Père Fouetta was a butcher, and during a particularly hard winter, three boys went searching for food and became lost. They found the home of the butcher and asked him for shelter for the night. Well, the butcher agreed, but as soon as he had the boys trust, he chopped the children into pieces. Well, his plan was to sell their meat in his butcher shop. So it, it's kind of the um, uh, uh, Demon Barbara Fleet Street type thing <laughs> here, you know? Yeah. Um, but... Hard winter, so he didn't have much meat. He chopped these children up, and he was going to sell them at his at his shop. Well, St. Nicholas arrived shortly after that. He performed a miracle and brought the boys back to life. Well, the butcher is so repentant and asking, just begging St. Nick to allow him to atone for his crimes. So St. Nick said, well, you can, but from here to eternity, you are my companion, and this is why he rides with St. Nicholas every year. There's also another story, though, and it's associated with uh, Père Fouetta, but it says that during the siege of Metz in 1552, people burned the effigy of King Charles Quint and dragged it through the city. In the meantime, a group of tanners created this grotesque character who punishes the children. After the liberation of Metz, the character which was created by the Tanners and the burned effigy of Charles Quint got incorporated into a character known as La Père Fueta. Somehow the events that surrounded the city and the burning of the effigy coincided with the passing of St. Nicholas, 
and hence he became the bad counterpart of St. Nicholas. An interesting thing I found, though, in the 1930s, Père Fouetta actually appeared in the United States, but his name was translated to Father Flog or Spanky. 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 (laughs) Father Christmas and Spanky. Yeah. Here comes St. Nicholas and old Spanky. Let's stick with Father Flog. Leave Spanky out of it. Father Flog sounds just as bad. Okay, I'd go with Spanky. Yeah, maybe so. But it says, although he was almost identical to the original French personification, Father Flog had nothing to do with Christmas and also had a female accomplice named Mother Flog. Oh. the The two actually doled out punishments specific uh, punishments for specific childhood crimes. So father flog and mother flog were just these characters that showed up in the 1930s in tales. And they said, well, if you steal this father Flog's going to beat the crap out of you and he'll do it in a specific way, according to whatever you do wrong. Yeah. It, it was, a yeah, it's like a, a you know how, uh, if, Back in the day, if thieves were caught stealing, they'd have their fingers or hand cut off. Or okay. if they were caught yeah. and then tried to run from the police, they'd have a leg cut off. So the specific punishment for a specific crime, that's what Father Flog and Mother Flog did. But it was like for children. So it was like, they'll whip you on the ear or they'll whip your hand or they'll string you up by your toenails is what I was always told. But it wasn't father flog doing it i just my granddad yeah. said you do that again i'm stringing you up by your toenails i didn't know what that meant yeah it sounded painful so i stopped doing it yeah imagine if you fart in class oh lord you get that <laughs> flogging somewhere you don't want it <laughs> all right so man mother flog i i, <laughs> I don't know why i'm in I guess I'm in fifth grade. I, it just, <laughs> it's just it sounds ridiculous. Well, to me. Don't be a mother flogger, Matt. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about one that you guys probably have heard of before. And if you haven't heard the name, you've definitely seen the imagery. Uh, over the last five or six years, it has become more common, you know, to see pictures of this. And that is Mari Lloyd, okay? And uh, you listen to the description, you're going to know what I'm talking about. So just imagine that it's New Year's Eve, and you are a small Welsh child. You hear a knock on the door, you open it, and standing in front of you is this creature with a horse's skull wearing a long, billowing cloak and trailed by people chanting. You must have got into your parents' eggnog. (laughs) That's right. Now, in the horse's eye cavities are are fake eyeballs or even little round baubles, lights, Christmas ornaments, something that that mimics the eyes. Um, And its mouth is slightly open. It looks pretty terrifying. Okay. It certainly doesn't seem like anything that would be associated with the holiday season. So as you're standing there petrified, looking at this thing, all the adults are, are hugging and wishing everybody a happy new year. 
like, what the hell is going on? Right. So, yeah. So, you've, like I said, you've seen these images. The, the, the horse skull, the long cloak. In fact, when, uh, when it's performed, the Mari Lloyd is usually done by a performer with uh, the horse skull on a pole with the cloak draped down over it so it covers him. So Mari Lloyd appears much, much taller than everybody else. So if mm-hmm. you've seen that, it's, it's, it's a lot taller, probably stands about eight feet tall. Now, the origins of, of Mari's name um, are, are kind of mysterious, like, you know, like the reasoning behind this tradition. But one Welsh translation of it is Grey Mare. The old gray mare just ain't what she used to be. You know that. Ain't what she used to be. Ain't what she used to be. Yeah, I did that for Adam. Uh, <laughs> connects, and it, but it connects to the heritage of pale horses in Celtic and British mythology, um, many of whom can cross over into the underworld. So mm. there, the pale horse is not one that is, it is held to the realm of the living. You know, it can travel back and forth. And you've heard the term pale rider and things like that. Same thing. Now, the other translation for Mari Lloyd is the Grey Mary. And some scholars have linked her to a legend connected to the nativity story. This one, let, dig this, okay? Okay. <laughs> a pregnant horse sent out of the stables when Mary arrived to have Jesus. She spent dark days roaming the land, trying to find somewhere new to have her foal. Now, many Mari fans believe the character to have come from pre-Christian pagan origins, however. Um, So it's impossible to prove, but that's kind of a, that is a creepy story. Yeah. Okay. That. Somehow this pregnant horse comes back every year. And the reason that this horse comes back is because they were booted out of the manger so that Mary could have Jesus. And this, this, this horse is angry about it. Yeah. But if you, if you look at the imagery here, this, it, it, this really looks pre-Christian. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of paganism in what is, you know, Wales. Uh, so I, I, it, it does not feel like this. This sounds like something somebody just made up. <laughs> it's right. like, what if Mari Lloyd was, was actually a pregnant horse? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Joseph and Mary booted out of the stable. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 has, it has very, very pagan imagery, very, very much pagan imagery with it, associated with it. Now, well, how does this how does this celebration work? Well, Mari is taken around a village traditionally, often between Christmas Day and Twelfth Night. She is dressed with festive lights and decorations. Mari is a female, and is usually accompanied by an ostler, which is a person at an inn that would care for travelers' horses. Mm, okay. So she has her own handler, and in some regions. Um, other folk characters dress up like a jester and a lady, like, um, like a, well, what you would think of as, as a medieval princess look, you know, mm-hmm. 
Now, this brings the tradition closer together with Mummer's Plays, which is a tradition of performances by the working class in the 18th century, typically done around the holidays. And if you've never heard of or seen any any uh, depiction of a Mummer's Play, these are the... Um, it usually begins with two female characters um, coming to blows over something. Okay. They get in a fight and then other characters um, get involved and it's, it's, it's all very um, over the top and, and farce like. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a mummer's play. Um, all of these traditions kind of coincide. So it does seem like, you know, Mari Lloyd is, um, is just another part of all of this. Now, when this group of uh, the jester, the lady, the Ulster, and Mari Lloyd, when they get to your house, they sing Welsh uh, Welsh language songs or wassails uh, that more traditionally indulge in a ritual called Ponco. It's P-W-N-C-O, but it is pronounced Ponco. Do you know what a Ponco is, Adam? I don't, but before you tell me, you said wassails. Now, that I have heard as the or- origination for here. We come a wassailing along the leaves. And Correct. So... I just had to throw that in before you told me what a Ponco was, because a Ponco sounds painful. So I wanted to get yeah. that out of the way before well, you I, hurt well, me with this. Color me impressed, but that is exactly <laughs> what it is. I, useless crap up here in this noggin, Matt. Well, useless yeah, crap. Uh, yeah, I know. It just, you know, the good stuff falls out of my ears. The other stuff just yep. kind of lingers. Um, Learn something that, new. I forget how to exactly tie my shoes. that's exactly what that is. And, and so many of our... Older, you know, Christmas carols or Christmas songs that you mm-hmm. hear around this time of year, they have a Welsh origin. Right. Um, you know, you, you, things like, um, you know, I saw three ships come sailing in, those type. Um, you know, not the uh, chestnuts roasting by the open fire or any right. of that stuff. Um, so, so yeah, the there's a lot tree. of, yeah, <laughs> there is a lot of, of Welsh Welsh heritage there and and Welsh origins. Um, but back to the Ponco. The Ponco is an exchange of rude rhymes with the person that lives there. So ah. think of it this way. It's uh this this skull horse comes to your door, they're singing these songs, and now you have to, you know, you have to play the dozens with this horse skull. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have to do some, your mama is so fat jokes with, <laughs> with this, this horse skeleton. Okay. Now. There once you, was a man from Nantucket. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> it's a family show. Yeah. Uh, but you, so you're doing this. Okay. If you win. Okay. They come in. Everybody gets, um, uh, everybody gets good luck for the rest of the year. Okay. Um, if you lose, traditionally, Mari Lloyd gets to come in and her crew gets to drink all your beer. Um, you know, but that, that whole point of this is 
you know, Mari Lord is coming into uh, looking for food and for festivities and to cause mischief. And she chases people that she likes uh, as, as terrifying as the, as her, you know, visuals can be. It's really very, uh, very innocuous and fun um, mm-hmm. is really what it is. So, it, But if she's good at the rap battles, then she's smashed by like the third house. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the rest of the houses win. The dude, so. It looks like a dude in a sheet carrying this ridic- ridiculously large hobby horse. You know, he's mm-hmm. just dragging by that third house. He's just dragging that skull down the street. <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore. I can't. You, you win. You win. Now, the first written record of the of the Mari Lloyd is in Jay Evans' book from 1800, which is a tour through part of North Wales. That's the title of his book. Now, although the tradition is best known for its practice uh, in Glamorgan and Gwent, these Welsh cities, man, they they got some num- names. Um, it has similarities to other hooded animal customs in Britain, like the hoodening in Kent, uh, the broad in Cotswold, and the old tup in Durban, Derbyshire, which involved a group of poor people trying to find food and money in the harsh depths of the winter. Mm. Now, Welsh Methodists and other Christian nonconformists criticized the Mari Lloyd in the 19th century, and Baptist minister Reverend William Roberts called her, quote, sinful in his 1852 book, The Religion of the Dark Ages. Now, Welsh poet Vernon Watkins even wrote a long poem about her in 1941 called The Ballad of the Mari Lloyd. And this was after he heard a broadcast, a radio broadcast about the ritual. So huh. this was the original, one of the original podcasts yeah. on the radio and Vernon Watkins hears it and decides he's going to write a poem about Mari Lloyd. Huh. It kind of faded out for a little while. And by the 1960s, there were very few Mari processions left in the world. But in the later 1900s, the Las, the Latrasant Folk Club revived the tradition, um, as did a few other families who still visit the old house inn in the village with their Mari today. Three generations of landlords in the old house inn have hosted this these families. That's cool. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, three generations they still keep this old Welsh tradition alive, um, and and as if if you've if you've been on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok here in the last few weeks, you have seen something guarantee of it. of yeah. a of a, a Mari Lloyd celebration. I, mm-hmm. I guarantee it. I've I've seen three today. Yeah, yeah. So the next one that I got is Frau Perkta, and some of y'all may know about Frau, but uh, Frau Perkta isn't that well known by the majority of the world and certainly not as well known as like Krampus and, and St. Nick and stuff like that. But she's a staple in the Alpine regions of Southern Germany and Austria. But other than that, you may or may not have heard about her. Well, Frau Perkta is also known as Berkta or Bertha. And she's also being called Spinstubenfrau or the the spinning room lady 
and she's often depicted with a beaked nose made of iron, dressed in rags, perhaps carrying a cane, maybe not, and generally resembles a decrepit old crone. But this is not a helpless old crone. She can pack a wallop and even carries a long knife under her skirt, it says. She's dangerous. She'll cut you. Yeah, she she's a mean, mean old crone. But she also bears a resemblance to the Scandinavian goddess Frigga, and both of them share one obsession in common, spinning. And not like spinning like a top <laughs> in circles, but spinning as in like spinning wool and stuff like that. Both, uh, both of them are specifically a domestic neatness, generally. So she's into spinning yarn, and keeping the house clean. Now, this says she's pretty judgy considering she dresses in rags. Which, I mean, that's true. I mean, if she's got an <laughs> iron nose and dresses in rags, why does she care if you have a clean house? I mean, that's, yeah, that's right. Mean. But anyway, legend has it that you better get all your flax spun by 12th night or January 6th, quote, for when the Christmas season was over, it would be time to set up the big upright loom, at which time you must have enough thread to wrap it and start your weaving. So if you don't have your weaving done, then what does she do? Does she put you in time out? Well, yes. no, oh. Un unfortunately, no. It says, quote, in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, there were numerous tales of Frau Perk to trampling and even set, setting fire to the half-spun fibers. So if you didn't get it done, she would trample them. She'd light your half-spun fibers on fire, <laughs> watch them burn. And if you really irrit irritated her, like, you know, not only is your flax not spun, but your house is a total mess. Just, you know, kids wrapping paper still over in the corner. You got socks laying across the couch. Obviously, your your stuff's not done. You know, what well, if you've done all this and you failed to leave out a traditional bowl of porridge for her as like a peace offering, then her rampaging will extend far beyond just your unspun wool. She'll do nothing less than steal into your bedroom, disembowel you, and replace your guts with rocks and straw. Disembowel you. Disembowel you. That's what she carries that knife under her skirt for. Good Is. Lord. So if you're untidy, then Frau Perkta is going to come and disembowel you. But Perkta does more than just check on your spinning. It says other legends equate Frau Perkta with the legend of the wild hunt. And they say that she flies through the night sky, attended by an army of lost souls, including the demonic-looking Perkton, her army of servants who are visually nearly indistinguishable from Krampus. So if you can picture this old crone with an army of Krampi in the background. <laughs> well, the only way to know for sure, they say, is context, because... Krampus rides, uh, a, you know, with St. Nicholas on St. Nicholas's Eve. 
But the perks tend more toward Epiphany, which are the last three Thursdays before Christmas, also known as Berktal Nights or Knocking Nights. Also among her army of the night are the souls of unbaptized children. Legend has it, if you hear the wind and thunder roaring and rumbling through the mountains on Berktal Nights, you re- you're really hearing the sounds of Perkta leading the wild hunt. So be sure you have all your house cleaning and have, a, have all your wool spun before January 6th because you don't want your insides replaced with straw and stones. At least not around Christmas time. No, I mean, luckily she waits till after Christmas, <laughs> but still, I mean, after Christmas, you're not wanting to clean, right. you know, you're, you're done with cleaning. You cleaned for Christmas so that people could come over your kids are still playing with stuff. You know, right. they've, they've got their stick ball out in the, the living room. And if, if you don't clean up perk to get you. And, you know, one thing that's interesting about the story about uh, Frau Perkton is um, it, it pulls from a lot of different legends mm-hmm. a, a, around mm-hmm. around Europe. And, you know, like the wild hunt, the wild hunt is mentioned in folklore and mythology for centuries. Yeah. Um, yep. and, they, and they all have different... Um, specters that are involved with the wild hunt but when you hear them it, it it's never a good thing okay no, um no. but you know it was just really really interesting when when you mentioned that um other thing i wonder is you know the the new year's traditions that people have uh especially in the u.s like you know it's supposedly bad luck to you know have your christmas ornaments up after New Year's Day or something like that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that seems very similar to the idea of you're supposed to have all of your uh, all of oh, your flax yeah. spun before Twelfth Night, before January 6th, um, or it's going to cause you some problems. Um, so um, I, I, I love how a, a lot of these really old legends and this folklore have carried over to more modern things. Even Um, if we don't realize it, yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, somebody didn't just sit back one day and puff on a pipe and go, you know what? It's bad luck if you leave those Christmas decorations up after New Year's. Mm -hmm. That came from somewhere. Right. All of these things came from somewhere, and these stories kind of help you see, you know, maybe it's maybe not directly connected, but it, it shows that, there was a thought um, centuries ago that, you know, by January 6th, you better have your stuff together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, this next one, this next one is very interesting. And I, I had never heard of this one. Adam might have, um, but this was one I had not heard, which I'm kind of surprised because it, it, I, I had no trouble finding information about it. And this is Hans Trap. Now, this is a this is a French uh story and it's specifically to the area of Alsace-Lorraine. And according to Alsatian lore, Hans Trap was a local man renowned for his greed and unscrupulousness. 
he used witchcraft and dealt with the devil to become rich. Now, after being excommunicated from the Catholic Church, he lost his wealth and his social standing. So he took to roaming the countryside disguised as a scarecrow. Hmm. Yeah. Are you familiar with this one? I'm not. No. Yeah. So Trapp was reduced to re- constructing a makeshift home in the mountains of Bavaria in Germany. And the legend goes on here. He's he continued to brood, um, you know, just angry and, and mad that he he lost all of his wealth and all of his his standing in society. And he these evil desires just fester inside him. So he decided that he really had a hankering for the taste of human flesh. Mm. So finally. Natural progression. He, yeah, he became the dreaded Christmas scarecrow. He was adorned in straw as a disguise, and he would wait on lonely roads for a victim. Now, as the legend goes, a boy aged around 10 happened across his path one day and trapped stabbed the unfortunate shepherd's boy with a vicious sharp stick. Now, with the body safely back in his lair, Trap sliced it into pieces and roasted it. But before he could eat, he was struck by a divine lightning bolt from God and killed. Hmm. And, and you know, another, another telling of this story said God had had enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, you gone yeah. too far, Mr. Scarecrow. I'm tired of your scarecrow butt. He struck him down. Now, today, naughty children are warned that Hans Trapp's spirit lingers on and that he may visit them in his scarecrow disguise if they don't mend their ways. Mm. He's a popular boogeyman and a frightening tall tale, but it's a little more than that. We have learned that the story of Hans Trapp is related to an actual person. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hans von Trotha was a knight who lived from 1450 to 1503. He commanded two castles in the Palatine. Um, that's the French-German territory. But became embroiled in an argument with the church over the property in one of them. The abbot would not concede certain properties to Von Trotha, so the embittered knight stopped the supply of water to the nearby town of Wissenberg by building a dam. Hmm. In retaliation, the abbot, um, which is like a monk, if if you don't, I didn't I didn't clarify that. Um, the abbot had the dam destroyed, which flooded the villagers' homes and businesses. Now, can you imagine this this guy's cut our water off and the abbot says, I'll get it back. And he goes and destroys the dam and it floods the village. They're like, thanks for nothing. Too much water. (laughs) Too much water. Could have dealt with just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, we just wanted it back. We didn't want all this extra. Yeah. Right. Thanks for the bonus, but it's it's too much. (laughs) And this is all documented. This is this really happened. This is not a legend. Okay. Hmm. The dispute continued until, just as with Hans Trapp, the knight was summoned by the Pope himself and excommunicated. 
So while there's no record of Von Trotha turning to cannibalism and hunting children while dressed as a scarecrow, what we know of Hans Von Trotha's life is extraordinary. Even the emperor's intervention wasn't enough to put a stop to the knight's battle with the abbot of Weisenberg Abbey, which is exactly why Pope Innocent VIII came into the picture in the first place. On his summoning to successor Alexander VI papal court, Von Trotha refused to attend. So hmm. the Pope, the Pope, the new Pope says, all right, come here. And Von Trotha says, mm, nah, I don't think so. I'm not coming. I'm busy, I'm busy scarecrowing. Yeah. I'm not coming. And this is a time when, when the Pope held a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So instead, Von Trotha sent a letter to the Pope, which expounded on Von Trotha's uh, faith while accusing the Pope of all manner of impure acts. So oh, essentially it was, um, I know you are, but what am I? You know? Right, right. <laughs> so, I may be, but here's what you've done. <laughs> yeah. So even while excommunicated, Von Trotha did pretty well for himself. He served on the French royal court. He was given the Chevalier d'Or by King Louis the Seventh. No, I I'm sorry, one of those. King Louis the Twelfth. Can't read my, I can't read my own Roman numerals. <laughs> uh, but upon his death, all charges against him were reversed and forgiven. Why? This is a bad dude. Uh, well, and you wait till he dies. Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, it wasn't like he was a. Uh, a tremendous criminal. He was, he was just kind of a horse's ass, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what he was. <laughs> but something from his notoriety lived on, and though not only in the Hans Trap legend, you know, local legends also refer to him as the Black Knight, which was a which is a formidable specter that was also sometimes said to accompany Santa Claus and punish children who were unworthy of gifts. So mm. you know, Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas. Father Christmas, they ha he has this whole posse of weird, creepy individuals, okay? Yeah. I didn't realize that he had this whole crew that he was coming, you know. he, You know, here he comes. You know, everybody said, well, Santa's going to put coal in your stocking. No, he's got, guy he's got a guy for that. Right. You know, right. he's, he's he, got a guy for that. He was the originator of, oh, I got a guy for that. <laughs> That's right. You need that? I got a guy for that. I know a guy. And he just calls up one of them, and yeah, that's right. You know, you imagine oh, you need to be you need to be disemboweled. I got a gal for yeah, that. Yeah, I got. <laughs> She's great. You'll love her. Oh, Perkta! <laughs> this lady doesn't have her wool spun. Yeah, was Saint Nick a, a snitch or what? Like he could have he could have come by and said, Psst, "Clean this up." Yeah, Frau is like five minutes behind me, but yeah. instead he's like, "Frau, hey." Hey, Frau, come here. Yeah. Check this out. Yeah. Check this <laughs> slovenly brood out. Check them out. They've got a sock over in the corner. I know you're going to be mad about that. <laughs> it's like, you take care of this. I'm going to go over here to these goody goodies. I got some mm -hmm. peppermint for them. Hey, Trap, here's an angry kid. Why don't you stab him and eat him? Oh, that's it. just punishment there, Santa. Thanks. <laughs> All I did was cry. I mean, geez. He pulled his sister's hair, and now he's lunch. Yeah. Now he's spit roasted because <laughs> Santa's got a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the, the, the last one I've got is I told Matt, I said, this is my favorite of my three here. And it's the Kali Kanzari. And I think I might be pronouncing that right. I think. But the Kali Kanzari are from Greek folklore. And they are hobgoblins of Yuletide. Yeah. And Christmas trolls. Yeah, basically. Um, I know we've got quite a few Greek listeners, so I'm going to do my best with this. Don't hate me if I get something wrong. It's what I found. But I, I know one specific Greek listener that she might be able to help us out and discuss it in the group. Oh, yeah. Um, if I get anything wrong. But apparently they're lanky, red-eyed beings with long nails and black tails. That, like gnomes, they're very mischievous and agile. And they would jump from roof from one rooftop to the next and sneak their way into homes through the chimney or keyholes or into backyards and trash everything in sight or steal food and children, especially those born on Christmas Day. So if you got a kid born on Christmas Day, the Kali Kansari are coming for them mm-hmm. and they're going to steal your kid. Now, many Greek mothers and grandmothers say that that's why it's important to keep everything tightly covered with a lid is to keep them out of it. So the Kali Kansari don't trash it when they sneak into your home. So after you're done baking and all that stuff, put a lid on the flour. Yeah. yeah. Says, don't once, leave it open. They're right. like cockroaches. Oh, yeah. Because it says one of their favorite pranks was actually to scatter flour. Um, which was to be found everywhere due to holiday baking. And as they're doing it, they're scattering flour across your kitchen and across your house. You could apparently hear their shrill laughter. Now, Clement A. Miles sums it up saying this, quote, destruction and waste, greed and lust mark their course. So they sound like some uh, crazy individuals. Now, according to lore, roaming at night, during this time of year is ill-advised because you just might run into one of these obnoxious creatures and they're bound to scare you. Now, the Kali Kansari, they say, are small and dark-skinned and most have some kind of flaw, like they limp or they have a lisp or goat feet or monkey arms. (coughs) I'd say that's a major flaw. That's a major flaw. If you got goat feet and monkey arms and, and you limp because one of your goat feet are smaller than the other one. My dad met this woman one time. Oh, and Lord. He, yeah. He acted really weird. Um, she knew him, I, I guess, or knew of him. And he shook her hand. And as we were walking away, he just was he was weird. And I was just like, what's the deal? And he goes, she had monkey hands. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to die right there. (laughs) It completely freaked him out. Went to shake her hand and her fingers wrapped around my hand twice. (laughs) It was weird. Now, this says that although the Kali Kansari, they live on eating snakes, worms, and frogs, they actually love sugar. And that's why a lot of housewives would leave some sweets at different spots in the house to cajole them into being nice. Oh. So it says, and indeed, life on Earth for 12 days for the Kali Kanzari is all about wanton mischief. 
until the rooster crows, and that is, and and then the sun shines. It's uh you know comes into the sky, and that's when they're done. They they quit during the day, but they they do it all at night for twelve days. Now, much like Dracula, all of the world's uh, dark demons and everything, they the the Kali Kanzari hate the sun. So don't, you know, you won't catch them out in the daylight, but they also abhor fire. They don't like the cross and they don't like holy water and they've got a very short attention span. So as much as they want to do you harm, it seems like they never succeed. They're always trying to, but with the short attention span, it's like, oh, look, flower to scatter. And then they got to go scatter the flower. And stuff. Yeah. Easily distracted. Mm-hmm. For the majority of the year, the Kali Kansari, they live beneath the earth's surface. And what they're doing is they're tirelessly sawing away at the world tree. And you say, well, why are they doing that? Well, it's to bring about chaos and disorder by completely sawing through the world tree, cutting it in half. This would screw up the world if you cut the world tree in half. But during the span between Christmas Day and Epiphany Day, which is January 6th, they come up from their subterranean realm, and that's when they're causing all the pranks. So they quit sawing, right? You can't Mm -hmm. do two things at once. But while they're up there on the surface, there's a decisive moment that comes. On Epiphany Day, this, quote, pivotal event unfolds. And it sends the Kali Kansari retreating back to their subterranean realm. The village priest embarks on a sacred journey from one home to the next home. He's showering rooms with holy water. Now, this ritual, which is apparently a hallmark of Epiphany celebrations, is believed to ensure that these goblins return underground, which restores order to the human world. Hmm. Well, when they return to the subterranean world, the Kali Kanzari find that the world tree has fully healed itself and its trunk is whole again. So they got to start sawing again. And they're trying to fell this tree up until the next Christmas day when they emerge again. So they're they kind of sum it up. They're down there sawing on this tree, trying to cut it in half and just destroy the world. But then Christmas Day comes and their short attention span pops in. They go, oh, I got to go upstairs. So they go upstairs. They create a whole bunch of mischief. Then the priest comes. They go back down. And guess what? All of their work is for naught because the tree has healed itself. So that's that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was cool. The whole them sawing on the world tree and then the world tree healing herself by the time, you know, in 12 days. I just I thought that was a really cool story. Yeah, I like it. All right, well, I guess that about wraps it up. <laughs> Wait a minute, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I think you're you know, forgetting we're, one. We're leaving one out. Everybody's been been waiting. Like, are they going to talk about this? Are they really not going to talk about this? <laughs> no, we're not. No, yes, we are. We're going to talk about Krampus. Yep, you He's got pro- to. Probably the 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 most well known of all of these. Um, and, and has really hit a big resurgence in the U S in the last, 
you know, 10, 15 years. You know, Krampus has been, you know, the funny thing is, is when I first heard of Krampus, I thought something new. They've they've made up a new Christmas monster. No, it's not new at all. But in many European countries, St. Nicholas, as we said earlier, has companions. He's got a crew, you know, he's got squad goals here um, (laughs) who who act as his negative counterpart. Okay, St. Nick, he's the he's the good cop. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to meet the bad cop, okay? Right, right. And the one particularly bad cop is Krampus, okay? And he is a demonic half-goat monster with horns and a long tongue, and he drags chains behind him as he walks and rattles them ominously. I think I knew him in high school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think he came to my house a time or two. <laughs> um, but he carries a birch. Uh, to whip bad children and sometimes a basket or a sack for kidnapping them. Now, the Eve of St. Nicholas, December 5th, that is Krampus knocked, okay? Hordes of Krampuses march through Alpine towns in elaborate sinister costumes. And in recent years, the Krampus's tendency to go on drunken rampages getting in fights and destroying property has become a bit of a problem. Um, (laughs) These guys take it just a little too seriously. Right. Okay. Um, And, and I sent, I sent, I sent you a video earlier today of, of a Krampus parade Mm -hmm. from, from last night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I mean, there there were tons of them. They were everywhere. I, you know, since I heard about Krampus, I've always wanted to attend one of those parades because it looks like fun, except I've seen some of them where they just start whipping people in the crowds. Yeah. I I would have a hard time not whipping back. I if know. If you start whipping me with a birch, I'm going to start whipping back. Maybe it's licorice. Uh, maybe. Licorice I'd whip. Eat it then. Yeah. And well, the one thing that I, I couldn't have is, is you, you see these things. There's always snow. Because these are mm-hmm. happening in alpine towns and villages. And so right. it's like there's snow everywhere and there's people just out there like, this is normal. You know, I'm like, yeah. man, you're freezing to death out there. Mm-hmm. Spoken like a true Southerner. Amen. <laughs> so, um, so Krampus gets his name um, from the German word Krampen, which means claw. Okay. And the Krampus legend supposedly originated in Germany. Now, Krampus was thought to have been a part of pagan rituals for the winter solstice. And according to legend, he is the son of Hel, the Norse god of the underworld. Hmm. The creature and St. Nicholas are said to arrive on the evening of December 5th, which, which is Krampusnacht or Krampus night. While St. Nicholas rewards the nice children by leaving presents, Krampus beats those who are naughty with branches and sticks. In some cases, he has said to eat them or take them to hell. Oh, great. I mean, let's let the punishment fit the crime. Seriously, you know. Yeah. Hey, this poor kid, you know, he put gum in his sister's hair. Uh, You're going to hell. Yep. I will eat you for that. (laughs) That's right. Now, on December 6th, St. Nicholas Day, children awaken to find their gifts or to nurse their injuries. 
(laughs) (laughs) Now, Krampus's roots really have nothing to do with Christmas. Instead, they date back to pre-Germanic paganism in the region. During the 12th century, the Catholic Church attempted to banish Krampus celebrations because of his resemblance to the devil. And when you see these costumes, I, you remember when we did the um, the uh, the Codex Gigas? Mm-hmm. Okay, you you remember that that the 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 painting, the drawing of the yep. devil in there? Oh yeah, it looks a hell of a lot like Krampus. Okay, yeah, I mean, very, very similar. The long tongue, the horns, that face. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not what you think of in in modern depictions of the devil. Um, it looks a lot like Krampus. Now, more eradication attempts followed in 1934 at the hands of Austria's conservative Christian Social Party. But none of it really held, and Krampus emerged as a much-feared and beloved holiday force. Now, Krampus's frightening presence was supposed to uh, was suppressed for many years. The Catholic Church forbade the raucous celebrations, and fascists in World War II Europe found Krampus despicable. Dig this, because it was considered a creation of the Social Democrats. Oh God! <laughs> Look. You you th- you think the U.S. turns everything political now? It's not a new thing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Even Krampus got politicized. Right. <laughs> Jeez. But but Krampus has, as I said, been having a resurgent over the past few years, especially here in the U.S. Um, but but thanks partly to this bah humbug attitude in pop culture, with people searching for ways to celebrate the Yuletide season in non-traditional ways. In the U.S., people are embracing the dark side of Christmas with Krampus movies, special Krampus television episodes. Uh, they're throwing Krampus parties, attending local Krampus, uh, Krampus knocks in cities like Washington, D.C. and New Orleans, and running Krampus-themed races. Dude, did you see where Nashville is doing pictures with Krampus this year? No, I didn't. I missed that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they're instead of, I mean, they got pictures with Santa in places too, but there's a company that's doing pictures with Krampus there in Nashville and you can go sit on Krampus's lap or whatever and get pictures with Krampus. Lord, every one of my kids screamed when they were little bitty to go sit on Santa's lap. Imagine dragging them up there to see Krampus. Yeah, right. Right. Terrify them. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I I thought about before you get going again, I thought about getting a Krampus costume and like doing it here. Yeah. But I'm afraid because I got so many hunters that live oh, around right, me. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't survive. So I, I scrapped that idea. But <laughs> can you imagine me running down the street here in uh in Texas? Yeah. As as Krampus. I'd be the only one. You'd have to run in a zigzag pattern. Yeah, right. (laughs) Dodging and diving behind cars and stuff, (laughs) avoiding the buckshot that's coming my way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, Austria is attempting to commercialize the harsh persona of Krampus by selling chocolates, figurines, collectible horns, and the like. There are already complaints that Krampus is becoming too commercialized and he's losing his edge because of his newfound popularity. Well, <laughs> that goes for 
everything. It sounds like all the bands I grew up listening to. I know, to. everything that's popular becomes popular like this that was always the little little side feature, you know, when it really mm-hmm. becomes popular and you can start buying, you know, a a, a, a chocolate Krampus, you know, and yep. stuff like that. Krampus Kr- plushies. Can, I, I saw Krampus Christmas ornaments um, mm-hmm. the other day. I mean, it, it it's gotten huge. Um, just just like it's it's just another thing to go along with Christmas. Um, when you can buy underwear with Krampus pictures on it, yeah, <laughs> they jump the shark. <laughs> they jump the shark. Yeah. So uh, so yeah so that that's Krampus. Um, and we figured a lot of y'all had heard, but you probably didn't know where it came from. Um, like I said, I I, I didn't know exactly all the details so this was this was pretty interesting and and it was it was fun too because um you know especially hans trap i had no idea i'd never never heard Mm -hmm. of that um yeah that's cool but it it is it is fascinating especially if you if like adam and and myself if you if you were born and grew up in the u.s um you lose that a, a lot of the european history that is so just amazing the mm-hmm. the folklore and the legends and the stories that that shaped history um we don't get because our history at least you know in in comparison is is pretty young right so we we didn't you know we everybody here grows up with santa claus and you know that's pretty that's pretty much how it how it is so Learning about these other traditions around the world, uh, I, I, it's it's fun. It's fascinating. I, I I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I, and we didn't hit all of them. We were looking primor- uh, primarily at the ones that were scary to go along with uh, with our uh, with the graveyard tales theme. But we know there's a lot of other ones that are out there. And if if you guys know of a really odd or unique uh, Christmas tradition around uh, or your neck of the woods, let us know. Uh, we'd mm-hmm. love to hear it. And the best place to tell us about it is in our Facebook group. Um, it is called The Graveyard. Thousands of people in there. It is very, very active. And, and we appreciate everyone that keeps that group alive. Come in there and share your stories. You know, sh- tell us your Christmas legends, all of that kind of stuff. We just want to hear those really great stories. Yep. Don't forget to check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. There you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. Don't forget, if you've got a Graveyard Tales listener in, in on your Christmas list, a, a, a Patreon membership is a fantastic gift. It's easy to get. Uh, it's affordable. And I promise you, they'll love it because they're going to be getting a, a, over 150 bonus episodes of mm-hmm. Graveyard Tales that touch on topics from A to Z. Okay. Yep. Um, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the charts. Uh, and it makes pe- it makes it easier for people to find the show when they go search for paranormal podcasts. Our name makes it on that list, right? And it makes us feel good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Little ego boost. We appreciate it. <laughs> so until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.